0: Have you ever wanted to be bold, to be brave, speak up, take a new path in life, but you wish you had someone to walk beside you? This is A Voice of Her Own, a podcast about our journey to agency, authority, and action. Each week you'll get inspiration, actionable practices, and support from me and from brave women of all kinds, walking their own path and telling their own stories. I'm Diva. I'm a trauma-informed coach and a doctoral student in psychology. So I know a few things about seeking an authentic life, but I'm still learning too. So join me as we support, encourage, and inspire each other. This is a podcast about showing up. This is A Voice of Her Own. Well hello friends, welcome to another episode of A Voice of Her Own. I'm your host Diva Davison and this week I want to talk about the year of saying no. So that is my somewhat joking but mostly not reference to 2023. I have been a grad student for three years now And I have taken on and taken on and taken on projects and classes and courses and things outside of grad school, in addition to having horses and pets and a relationship and friendships and responsibilities and all of the things that everyone, but I'm going to specifically talk about women, have on their plate but I have continued to take things on until it occurred to me sometime in the fall quarter of 2022 that this was insanity and it had to stop. So I decided that 2023 would be the year of saying no. Now I'm a person who is a lifelong learner. I love to explore new ideas, new thoughts, new courses, get me really excited. I'm, I love new books. I love to, you know, check out new accounts on social media. I'm really a person who, it's not just novelty. I really value knowledge and I really value self-development. So the flip side of that, I would say that is the side that I would tell myself or tell you And the flip side of that, as I've investigated my continually expanding calendar, is that I think those of us who overschedule ourselves, overcommit ourselves, overtax ourselves, and end up exhausted and depleted and not doing our best work, we are telling ourselves it's because we wanna be perfect parents or we want to be lifelong learners or we want to get ahead at work. But in reality, we have a fear of missing out. And I know that it's become sort of just a meme and funny to say, oh, I've got FOMO. Oh, she just has FOMO. But a fear of missing out, a fear that if you don't pursue every possible opportunity and if you don't take every possible path that's offered to you, that you are not going to get what everyone else gets and you're going to be left behind, that boils down to basically a fear of starvation. And somewhere, somehow, you learned the lesson that if you didn't hurry up and grasp every piece of bread that was handed to you, you were going to go without. Other people would succeed and you would be left behind starving and lonely. And that is not a great motivation for living life. That is not a mental schema. It's not a way of looking at the world that is going to propel you into happiness, joy, fulfillment, creativity, and success. It's just not whenever you're working from a place of lack, you are setting yourself up to continue to be lacking. And I think it's really important for us to dig down and look at why we are living the way that we are living. Because I can say, and this is anecdotal, but I can say, 99% of the women I know, and I'm putting the 1% in there just to be kind because I don't actually know anybody who's doing this successfully. All of the women I know are continuously overbooked. And this isn't a surprise. We see it in media articles directed at women all the time. It's like, well, how to be more productive and how to, you know, how to manage your time and just get up earlier. That's my favorite. Just get up earlier, as if we don't have decades of sleep research that says that sleep is one of the number one most important things you can do for longevity and well-being. Of all the things you can do, getting enough sleep is like at the top. But instead, we look at articles that tell us how to pack more things in instead of how to get really quiet and listen for the spark of joy, to use Marie Kondo's term, that will tell us if something is worth our time. Once you begin to ask yourself, is this worth my time? Is this worth my energy? You have taken your method of evaluation and you flipped it on its head because that way of perceiving the equation means that you are valuing yourself. And not valuing our time and not valuing our energy I think is basically one of the most common issues that women have, and I think the evidence is everywhere. Now, you might be asking yourself, why is this? Why is this so common? And I want to point out to you, uh, I listened to an episode of Freakonomics, probably, I don't know if you guys listen to the Freakonomics podcast, but it's fabu, and I listened to it maybe two years ago, and I will look this up and I will put it in the show notes because I do not off the top of my head remember the name of the woman who was being interviewed, but she was talking about, she was an economist and she was talking about the cost of women's unpaid labor. And by that, she meant the cooking, the cleaning, the child rearing, the chauffeuring, the business management for family businesses and husbands and children, all of the things that women do that we don't get paid for. And many or most of us now do all of that in addition to work that we do get paid for because it's very, very difficult to not have at least two incomes in this country and survive. And she calculated the cost of women's unpaid labor at minimum wage. And what she learned is that if women were paid for the labor they actually do, the entire economy across the world would come to a complete halt. It would totally crash. And so there is a very vested, important reason that women don't value their time and that women's time is not valued by our larger society. And I don't want to say that everything comes down to late-stage capitalism or everything comes down to patriarchy, but you know what? A lot of it does and in this case, it suits capitalism very well to not value women's labor. So that is the premise that I'm working from. And the question that I have is, what is the best use of your time? Really, ask yourself, what is the best use of my time? Not what you should be doing, but what is actually a benefit to you to your own ability to continue to be present, to your life force, to your creativity, to your passion, to your ability to sustain intimacy. One of the things I see a lot is women in long-term relationships, both with men and women and, uh, you know, non-binary folks, is that people complain that they are no longer feeling a spark. They're no longer excited. There's no, like, real juicy intimacy. And I think if you dig down into the relationship, the truth of the matter is is that there's no energy left for that. If you feel that you are being tugged at from every possible corner of your life and you feel that everybody wants something from you, there comes a place where somebody wanting you doesn't feel good. It just feels like another fucking chore. And that is really sad because we, as you know, as mammals, first off, but obviously, women are relational creatures and we gain so much of our energy and joy and excitement and information and safety from being in relation to others. And so. I think it is really important to ask yourself, what is the best use of your time? And following that, the second question I would ask is, who says so? Who is speaking? Who is telling you this? Internally, we all have voices that we've picked up from various sources, some cultural and some personal, and we tend to replay those voices and those voices have stories and those stories we tell ourselves and we believe that they're true. Without investigating, I think most of us, when we have the uh, phrase, you know, what what is the story I'm telling myself? We look back to Brene Brown and um, her Netflix special where she was having this very bizarre interaction with her husband, where what he was saying, what she was saying, were like two people talking to. Literally, it didn't even seem like they were in the same conversation. And what she was able to glean from that interaction is what the story was that she was telling herself and what the story was that he was telling himself and how they were not in the same story they were not following the same narrative so that was a show that I think a lot of people saw if you haven't go watch it it's great Um, and that idea that we need to investigate the stories we are telling ourselves and then after that that we need to investigate where did that story come from Where did we learn it? Who told us this? Or did we learn it implicitly? Was it modeled for us? Is it something that wasn't said outright, but it's something that we just took in? It's very difficult to discern what is the best use of your time and energy if you don't even know who's telling you the answer. And the only way that you can hear your own voice is to understand which voice is yours, as opposed to voices that you have inherited or somehow taken in and allowed to propagate your mind and your thoughts, your feelings. So I'm curious about what it really means if we say no. So first off, I think a lot of us would say that saying no means that we are lacking. It means that we're lacking in something. Somewhere in our minds, we believe that the woman that we should be would not say no. I think a lot of us feel a mother wound there somewhere where we think that in order to be the perfect mother or in order to get the mothering that we need, that that figure, that quintessentially female figure should be an endless source of nourishment for us an endless source of comfort, an endless source of approval, an endless source of affection, love. And as women, I think if we do not have an endless source of all of those things for the people around us, we feel that we are somehow lacking as a woman. So that's an interesting cultural narrative, right? It's something that's interesting to think about. And I think The second part of that is to ask, where does it come from again? But then after that to say, what are the consequences? What are the consequences as a woman for saying no? This is the cultural or systematic piece of it, the systemic piece of it that we carry that I think doesn't get talked about a lot because oftentimes in these conversations There's some sort of idea of like, oh, well, if I could just get over X or Y, without looking at the fact that these are credible consequences, just like I talked about in terms of women's safety, credible threats. This is a credible threat as well, because there are consequences to saying no. When everyone around you, when the entire culture has also been inculcated with the idea that you should have an endless supply for them, when you say no there are actual consequences. Saying no could mean that you're a bitch. It could mean that you're frigid. It could mean that you're going to get fired. It could mean that you are going to end up in some sort of altercation. It could mean that you're going to be looked at or ostracized as being a bad parent. One of the things that I think we are afraid of and have a right to be afraid of is The judgment of other women. So I recently looked at the uh, medium blog of a woman who is a trauma coach and she was quite amazing. And I was going to talk about her in The Witch Wound, but I ended up not having time. And she talked about the trinity of wounds. And so for her, that was the mother wound, the witch wound, and the sister wound, not necessarily in that order. And her name is Jade Eby. I don't know if she pronounces it that way because I've only seen it written. It's E-B-Y, and I'll link in the show notes. So she said that the sister wound is the wound where we no longer trust other women. And that women have historically looked to other women for their protection, for their sense of security, their sense of safety, and also for their knowledge, the knowledge that they have that is valuable, such as being a healer or being a priestess or being a mother or any of these things that women have historically been associated with. And the sister wound is how that has been turned upside down in our society so that in fact, we don't trust other women. We feel judged and we judge others. And obviously the reason that we're judging others is because we feel judged and it's a vicious cycle. So when you ask yourself, what are the consequences of saying no? One of the things that might happen is that the other moms who haven't yet figured out how to say no, who aren't in a place where they feel that they can say no, might start resenting you and they might ostracize you. I find that women, when they start to step into powerful choices, it's very uncomfortable. It usually comes with a lot of fraught feelings of danger, of threat. And oftentimes that is the threat of other women ostracizing them or denigrating them or even actively trying to bring them down. Like, wait, don't be big, come back and be small like we are so that we can all be small together. And you see that a lot when, um, and I am totally guilty of this, when getting together with other women and falling into Complaining or negative gossip. And it's something that I have to really guard against because sometimes it's really nice to just get together and bitch. But unfortunately, what that usually leads to is not a sense of empowerment or um, self worth, but it leads to looking around and seeing others in a negative light. And that's not the way I want to live in the world. And I assume it's not the way you want to live in the world either. So another good question to ask about what are the consequences of saying no, a follow-up question is, is our value predicated on what we do for others? And if so, if we say no, or we don't do something for someone else, are we no longer valuable? In other words, have we completely outsourced our value? Is our value something that we only find when other people tell us that we are doing what they need us to do? And I think that that goes back again to the mother wound, to use another wounding term, the idea that we are obligated as women to be an infinite source for everyone. So these are deep, like very deep, very archetypal kinds of thoughts and feelings that are really hard to even tease apart. And oftentimes when you start getting into this realm of knowledge, you're talking about things where you have concepts that are opposite and equally true. And so it is true that you can get down into the divine feminine in a place of being a source of everything, that that is a deeply beautiful spiritual practice of finding the place within that is the source of everything and identifying with that equally true is that trying to be the source of everything for everyone is something that is not sustainable without at least some sort of practice that places limits on that and when you think about you know, the, the thing that my friend and I always tell each other when we're out working with the horses is, boundaries are loving, boundaries are loving, boundaries are loving, boundaries are loving. First off, they're loving to ourselves. And that is such a fundamental piece of it that we all struggle with. I know we all struggle with it because I've been talking to women about this for about 20 years, maybe longer. And the basic structure of those conversations has not changed. I don't have children, so I can't extrapolate based on my relationships with my children, but I do have horses, and I can tell you that boundaries are absolutely essential to promoting the intimacy of a relationship. If you want to have a loving, committed partnership with any other entity, there has to be a place where they end and you begin, and you end and they begin, and that has to be very clear. Otherwise, you have enmeshment, and enmeshment doesn't lend itself to long-term intimacy. If you want to learn a little bit more about that, I've. this is probably my third mention of this, but I would look at David Schnark's work, Dr. David Schnark, and his work on differentiation, and specifically the book Passionate Marriage. So specifically going back to, is our value predicated on what we do for others? I want to point out that this brings us once again back to oppressive systems and how we internalize them because essentially that is the productivity as a moral virtue and in my notes i put productivity as moral virtue myth but i honestly hate it when people use the word myth in that context so i'm just going to say that this is a tenant or uh you know an unspoken uh, virtue that we all learn that being productive is better than being not productive. And again, who does that serve? Who's that for? What is that about? That, I, I'm just here to tell you, is part of our, part. it's part of our white supremacy culture values. It's part of our late stage capitalism values. It's part of the values that we have ascribed to since we have been under feudal systems uh, and you know we're here in the united states and therefore we have these values that we've brought over from europe and specifically britain and when you look at the systems that britain participated in and spread all over the world and spread to us and now we spread everywhere these are oppressive systems and they don't benefit us, that's certainly true. So when you start to recognize that this internal idea that you need to be productive, that your productivity is what matters, and that therefore you don't or shouldn't, you don't have the right to or should not say no, you're really subscribing to a system that not only does not benefit you, but is bad for everyone and very specifically is bad for our planet, which thus is bad for everyone. And so it's just sort of interesting to like recognize, wait, where's my part in this? Can I change my part in this? Does it have a larger stage in which changing my own individual participation will make a difference to the larger picture of what's sustainable for everyone? Another value that goes along with the idea of productivity as a moral virtue is perfectionism. And perfectionism relates to the idea of uh, sin. So if you kind of dig into the ideas that we brought over again from Europe, we're really looking at the idea that if you're poor, if you are different if you are differently abled if you are basically anything other than a land owning white male then you are probably a sinner you're not God's chosen people because you know God has shown that he favors the rich and that I think is something that I had never really thought about until a few years ago, it had never occurred to me that we have made being poor, or at least not being rich, but specifically being poor, into a moral issue, that there's something wrong with you. And so kind of following up on that is the idea that like, oh, okay, so if we don't want to be grouped with those people, then we have to try to be these other people. And because we're obviously... Not rich, white, and male, we have to work harder, and we have to edit ourselves and we have to polish ourselves and we should get up earlier and we should go for a run and we should diet and we should whiten our teeth and we should color our hair and we should do all of these things that we could possibly do to be better and the idea of better isn't our idea, it's a cultural idea, and so I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to be a better person. I think personal development is very important. That's what this entire podcast is about. And frankly, that's what coaching is about. And that's what I love. But I think we have to ask ourselves, whose definition of better? And further, you have to ask yourself, is the way that I have committed to getting better actually in support of who I want to be or become? Because the method matters. The way in which you do something changes the outcome of what you do. So the way in which you decide to go about becoming better, quote unquote, or developing yourself has a profound effect on what the result is going to be. Because the longer that you subscribe to these beliefs that are not your own, the harder it is to ever arrive at any kind of feeling of worth and value. And it circles us back around without worth and value how can you possibly know what the best use of your time actually is and how can you know who's saying so for myself i have probably a very deep seated fear of not being enough and it manifests itself in all kinds of ways And again, this isn't to say that being a lifelong learner, being curious, being open, wanting to know, wanting to develop yourself, those are all great qualities. But my question for myself now and my question for you is, what is saying yes stealing from you? Every time you say yes, what is that yes stealing from you? And for me and for many women that I know, what it's stealing is our creativity. Creativity is not something that you can just produce. You can't just squeeze it out. You can't just put yourself in a position of more and more pressure and continue to create more and more beauty, meaning, value, and all of the things that we want to carry out into the world. That is not the way that creativity works. So when we put ourselves in sort of a vice grip of pressure and expectations, trying to fulfill all of these different needs for all of these different people. And often these are people that we love. So we wanna stay connected. We want them to be taken care of. We want them to value us. These are all completely reasonable expectations. But what that steals from us is our own connection to life force. That's what creativity is. Creativity is the life force wanting to be expressed. Sometimes creativity is carnal. That's how we get children. Sometimes creativity is elevated. That's how you get sculptures out of marble. You know, sometimes creativity is problem solving. Sometimes creativity is passionate community building where you, you know, really relate to other people. There's all kinds of ways that the life force can express itself through you. And when you do not give yourself time and space for that, you are slowly killing yourself. It's just true. There's no, there's either you are moving towards life or you're not, and I think it's no surprise that women have the astronomical rates of depression that they have, and that it's much larger in women. I think there are other issues with that. I think some of that is anger, but I think a big part of it is that we do not have the time and space to allow ourselves to connect to our own life force, our own creative urges, our own desires, and our own place that we can express that in the world. Because in order to do that, it's sort of like, you know, just going back to Virginia Woolf, a, a Room of One's Own, that obviously this podcast is a play on that, because without that space, without the, first off, what would be ideal is if you also had a wife so that you could have all of that support. But even if you're just doing it alone, if you just have the space and the time to find out what you're really capable of, you can tap into that. And as long as you are saying yes, you are stealing from that. You are taking from that space and there's only so many hours in the day. I recently said, I am not infinitely expandable, which was kind of shocking to me. Maybe like you, You know, maybe you can relate. I have often been like, well, I'll just I'll just make it happen. I'll just figure it out. I'll just create more hours in the day and more space in my calendar. But what inevitably happens is that I'm fried. You know, I made a list of everything. I made a list of everything that I did in the last year. And I realized that left some things off. But when I looked at it, I thought, well. I mean, I'm sitting here asking myself, gosh, why am I fatigued? Why am I tired? And it's because I'm chasing after all of these projects and all of these, um, all of this, like, how many tabs do you have open on your laptop right now? How many, you know, how many email subscriptions do you have? How many things are you pursuing And what is that all about? And, you know, I I really had to sit down and realize that for me, part of it is aging. You know, have I done enough? Have I accomplished enough? Am I, and what am I measuring that with? I think these are all really important questions to ask. And I want to take a little break here because I've been talking for a while and just, again, come circle back to that first essential question, which is what is the best use of your time? best use of my time is to get a little sip of tea. I'll be back in a few minutes. We're just going to have a little shout out and then we'll talk more. All right, it's time for the shout out. So the shout out is a person, place, thing, idea, or product that I'm excited about that I want to share with you. It could be an affiliate link. Most of the time it's not. I love the idea of people just sharing the things that they're enthused about. Today, I want to talk about Simone Seol, and that is S-E-O-L. I could be wrong about that. I should probably double check. But Simone Seal, she's on Instagram at Simone Grace Seal, or you can find her on her website, SimoneGraceSeal.com. I will put the actual correct spelling and uh, link to it in the show notes of this episode. She is a life coach, a business coach, and a marketing coach. And I follow a lot of these folks because guess what? I'm a coach and. I love to get as much information and knowledge as I can from other folks. And so there's so many people out there coaching. Coaching is a huge industry and Simone is unique to me because she is someone who has completely rejected what Kelly Deals calls the female empowerment lifestyle brand. And one of the things that I first read of Simone's is when she was talking about how the problem with coaching or the majority of coaching that you see on Instagram and on social media and in advertising is that it's promoting a lifestyle. It's saying to you, oh, hey, if you just fix this, then you can have this fabulous life or You know, in a way, it's almost saying like, you're fucked up and your life is fucked up. And if you just do what I tell you, then it'll be great. And you will also look like me, or you'll live in this place, or you'll be bright and shiny, you'll be productive, all of these things that we have sort of unconsciously been swallowing from advertising media for, you know, forever. And Simone said, I reject that. That is not the point of coaching. The point of coaching, the aim of coaching is for congruence. And I thought, oh my God, this person is doing God's work because congruence means that your thoughts, your words, your actions, and your feelings all match up. And to me, that is in fact the entire point of coaching. It's the entire point of all of the self-work that we do, whether it's therapy, whether it's self-development courses, whether it's coaching and i just love her i think she's amazing so i highly recommend her if you're on social media follow her she has a book on amazon she's just very cool very funny very original so i'll put the link in the show notes at www.avoiceofherown.com and that is the shout out so the next area that i investigate thinking about why saying yes can be stealing from ourselves and why saying no feels like such a counterintuitive thing to do is also the fear of disappointing other people. And sometimes it's easy to look at our fear of disappointing other people and say, oh, well, that's just codependent or, you know, you're just needy. Um, But the truth is we all need others we are all mammals. We are meant to co-regulate. Our our way of dealing with reality has been for all of the time that humans have evolved up until very recently been a community or at least an extended familial experience. And beyond that, it is fair to say, hey, I don't want to disappoint other people. I don't want to Have my kid be bummed out that I didn't pick her up from school. I don't want my partner to think I don't care. I don't want, you know, everyone to have to eat pizza tonight instead of something healthy. All of those are super reasonable and very valid. I would also ask if you were to turn it around, what would it take for you to feel disappointed? Are there people in your life that are doing those things for you? Who is the person who's going to such an extreme to take care of you that if they miss making you dinner for one night, they are concerned that you would be disappointed in them? I think for most women, the answer is no one. Like, we're the ones doing it. It's not being done for us. So another part of the equation is to ask, where's your support? How do you feel comfortable asking for it? And how much of what you're doing is also, in a shadow sense, just being extremely, Controlling of what it is that you're trying to hold or hold on to or grasp, and by that I mean, sometimes we don't say no because we're afraid if we let somebody else do it, they're going to fuck it up. I mean, I I personally, every single time my partner puts dishes in the dishwasher, I wait until he's out of the room and then I rearrange the dishwasher. This is not something he doesn't know. Like this isn't shocking, um, and it's very annoying to him. And the way he puts dishes in the dishwasher is very annoying to me. So, you know, we're kind of, we have a mutual agreement of annoyance about the whole thing. But many of us have learned that we are the only ones who can do things right. We are the only ones who can properly put our kids to bed. We're the only ones who can properly make their lunches. We are the only ones who can actually organize the meeting on Monday. We're the only ones who can actually be responsible for making sure that the dog goes into the vet for their, you know, yearly checkup and so on and so forth. And that I think is on us. That's on us. It's something that you really have to look at and ask yourself again, by being in control and by being the one that everyone relies on, which is a form of control All you're doing is trying to ensure that everyone needs you so much that they'll never let you go, that they'll never walk away, that they'll never leave you. And so it's just another form of a fear of starvation. And I don't want to live my life basing my activities and my choices on a fear of starvation. That's not the place that I think would be the most benefit to myself, to my clients, to the world. And I would ask the same thing to you. So just some thoughts. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I get a little impassioned about this stuff. It's something that I really try to unpack and I'm still very much a student in this journey because so much of what I do has many causes. When I go to cook for my partner, it has all these layers of meaning. The first layer is, I love you, and I want to nurture you, and I want to show my love for you. Another layer is, I'm a better cook than you, and I want to eat something that tastes good. Another layer is, I believe that the quality of food matters, and it matters to the earth. Another part of it is, I don't trust you to do the same thing for me. And another layer of it is, if I don't do this, are you going to find someone else who will? All of those things go into something as simple as deciding what we're going to eat for dinner. So, you know, that's just a small example of what happens when we look at, can we say no? When can we say no? Should we say no? What will happen if we say no? And it all comes back around to how it is that we decide we want to move in the world. And I'm going to tell you, in order to make it different, you're going to have to tolerate some discomfort. And there are going to be people in your life who are going to say, change back, change back, change back. We don't like this version. And you know what? They'll get over it. They'll get over it because you will dig in to your own sense of self. And the more you do that, and the more you find that connection to whatever it is that springs your life for us, your creativity, your purpose, the more that you will be able to discern Whether or not those people need to stick around or not, and how you're going to negotiate those things. And that is going to be uncomfortable for a while. And that is okay. I think that men are much better than we are at tolerating discomfort, tolerating discomfort within relationships, and not feeling like they have to run around and soothe everybody and make sure that everybody's okay. You can't possibly make sure that everybody's okay. Most women don't even know how to make sure that they are okay. So, take a pause, understand that some people aren't going to like it. You're probably going to feel weird about it. It's going to take some practice and that is okay. The truth is, is that your time and your energy has value and worth, and it's up to you to determine it. So I'm going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll have the takeaway. So now it's time for the takeaway. The takeaway is an actionable practice that you can take out in the world as you journey forward. It's something that could be, should be, hopefully will be of use to you. It's a practice. It's not something that, you know, maybe you're going to master right away, but possibly you could. It could be something that will really even today you could start and you'll see results from it something that can help you on your journey and today's takeaway is coming up okay the takeaway this week is how to prune your calendar and i am not going to tell you that you should get up earlier or that you should fit more things in or that you should be more productive or that you should be more efficient. I'm not going to tell you that you need to schedule you time because I schedule things in my calendar all the time that are for the benefit of some greater purpose. And, you know, real life happens and I rarely follow them. I don't think that most of us, I mean, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I hope that somebody will email me or slide into my DMs uh, on Insta and, and tell me. But I think that most of us, when we schedule something that says me time or bath time or whatever, like we don't do that. I think that's bullshit. I, at least, I don't know anybody who does, and I certainly don't. So, again, if you do, I'm, I have all the admiration in the world. Tell me that you do. Let me know. Tell me your secrets. So, that's not what I mean by pruning your calendar. I, am a little inspired by, although I could never in my life live like Marie Kondo, I do love the idea of getting your compass to measure what sparks joy. And I do not have my sock drawer according to what sparks joy for me, although I have a lot of joyful socks. But I think that Using that as a measure for what is worth your time and energy is a great start because it helps you to see where your life passion actually lies. And one of the ways to do that is to lean into the good stuff. This is something that I have gotten from somatic experiencing. It's the idea that you resource your nervous system By finding the things that give you joy, that feel good, that even just visually look good, and noting them so that when you start to feel activated, when you start to feel anxious, when you start to feel that you're heading towards the threshold where you will go past your window of tolerance, that you can set your attention to something that is what we would call a resource, but is really just something that makes you happy. And so the easiest way to do that is to really take note of the things that make you happy. And the easiest way to do that is to really take note. So the takeaway this week is to look through your calendar and I want you to look back over the last six months. You know, this has been a crazy period of time and no doubt it would be very different five years ago or five years in the future, who knows. But look back over the last six months and admittedly super stressful time and ask yourself, which of these activities really, really made me feel at home in myself, really made me excited, really gave me something that I, that was pleasurable? You know, what of these activities actually give me pleasure? Uh, an instinctual reaction to, <clears throat> I shouldn't say instinctual, a cultural reaction to that question is to be like, mm, that's kind of weird. But you know, if you listen to the power of pleasure, the conversation I had with Stacey Ramsauer, you know that pleasure is a really important part of knowing yourself and knowing the way you can be in the world that will give you the most um, power and the most sustainability because in order to do things, one of the things that we know is that, part of what sustains our practices is dopamine. That is what creates consistency in our practices, the reward and pleasure is a huge reward. So one of the ways that we can determine if something is a, a useful and meaningful way to spend our time is whether or not it brings us joy and if you look back over the last six months, be really honest with yourself, pause, take some time. Don't try to do this in a rush. Do this when you have, you know, maybe you're stuck waiting to pick up your kids or, you know, you're on a commute uh, on the train or, you know, however it is that you can get a little time for yourself, but look back through your calendar and be very clear about what things sparked joy. And ask yourself, can I do those things 5% more? Can I make just even 10 or 15 minutes more a day of those things? And if not those things specifically, then maybe what those things represent or maybe what's at the core of those things. So if, if going to yoga class sparks joy, but that's an hour and a half of your life and you don't have that, Can you find a 10 minute yoga routine that you can do standing up in your kitchen while you're making dinner? Can you find that time? And can you take out the things that you notice are just a drag? Can you ask yourself who benefits from this? And if you really honestly cannot find benefit for you, are you willing to sit with the discomfort of letting it go? That's my takeaway. I hope that that's helpful. I'd love to hear what you're going to do more of and what you're going to do less of. I can tell you that some of these choices are painful. I had a course that I really, really wanted to take by Sharon Blackie, a year-long membership course for this year. And because I have taken on so much in the last two years and because I have recognized my own lack of capacity, I had to say no, and it pained me because I don't think she'll be offering it again. But the truth is, is that not everything is for us. And one of the most radical things that you can do is actually lean into the place where you know that what is meant for you is coming to you and you will never go out of life missing something if you pay attention to your own voice and your own sense of value. All right, friends, thanks for listening. I will catch you next week. Hey friends, thank you again for joining me on A Voice of Her Own. I hope that this episode was useful, that it was inspiring, that it sparked something in you that you can take out into the world. And if you wanna hear more episodes or you wanna sign up for our newsletter so you never miss one being released, head on over to www.avoiceofherown.com. You can sign up for our newsletter, you can get all the show notes, You can uh, get all the links to everything we talked about and any promotional things that I have going on. So again, thanks for joining us and take that out into the world and be your badass self.